In, in just a moment, Pastor Dick's going to come and uh, talk to us as he continues the series that we started last weekend. But before he does, I want to introduce you to a couple who are new to Timberline and new to our pastoral team. Uh, Tim and Melissa Heiss. Tim interned with us last summer, and so he's not totally new to Timberline. Uh, but we have brought them on our team in the last few weeks to work in our youth ministry with Pastor Jason and Abby. They're going to work together to reach out to young people in northern Colorado. And uh, we're excited to have them here. And I've asked Tim if he would just say hi to you. I want you to know who they are and greet you. So uh, would you welcome Tim and Melissa Heist? Well, good morning. I'd like to thank my fan clubs for screaming over there. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, no, it's great to be here, and thank you for welcoming us. Um, it all started a while ago, but to shorten up the story, uh, Melissa and I grew up in Pennsylvania, the whole way on the other side of the East Coast, um, and we'll be working, or I'll be working with Pastor Jason, and he has a lot to say about the East Coast dress, so hopefully this is acceptable. Um, <laughs> no, but last summer when we interned, I proposed to Melissa. Um, and we got married in this past June. We had a very busy summer, in fact. Uh, we graduated college in May. I graduated with a youth ministry and a pastoral counseling degree. Melissa graduated with a psychology degree. Uh, so we graduated in May. We got married in June. And we moved to Colorado in July. It was a busy summer. And then we decided to get a puppy three weeks later. So it's an even busier summer now. Uh, but no, we're very happy to be here, um, and I'm really looking forward to serving the middle school and high school students. If you're in middle school or high school, can you raise your hand? There are a bunch in here. Yeah, what's up, guys and girls? Um, I want, there's three weekly events that happen every week. 11:30, there's a middle school service. We call that Illuminate, um, just over in the worship arts room. At 7 p.m. on Sunday nights, there's a high school meeting. Uh, that's called Nexus. And then on Wednesday nights, starting September 2nd, there's another middle school, like a small group night, on Wednesday nights at 7. So I want to invite all of you guys out to that middle school and high school, and thank you for having us. Awesome. Amen. We're excited about having them here. I would like for us to uh, just pray over them. And by the way, uh, welcome back to our CSU students. School starts tomorrow. We welcome you back. And I know uh, middle school and high school is already, already in school. And so all the parents said, amen. That's right. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's just have a word of prayer over Tim and Melissa and their, for their future with us. God, thanks for this couple. Thank you for the journey they've been on and the way that you have orchestrated their lives to this point. And now, God, as they begin new chapters, the, the greatest thing of all is that they've allowed you to keep the pen. And you're the one writing these chapters of their lives. And so, God, as they walk in obedience to you, I just pray that they will discover new depths of who you are. I pray for their marriage, that you would bless them, bless their, their new home and their new little puppy, and bless their ministry. I pray that they would be empowered and anointed by your Holy Spirit to, to truly have an impact on young people at Timberline, but in Fort Collins in northern Colorado. Thank you for the gift that they are to us and for the relationship that will just continue to unfold over the years. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Pastor Amen. Dick's going to bring the message now. Okay. <clears throat> That's great. Good morning. I love those kids thing. 
you know, the letters to God. I identify with that. We're all kind of trying to figure out how this thing works. And um, these three weeks, last week, this week, and next week, we're talking about the God who trusts us. Usually we talk a lot about why we need to trust him, but the fact is he started it. It began with God himself, and that, for me, that's moving, that's exhilarating, and i got to say it's kind of obligating. I, um, in 1962, I drove from Santa Cruz, California at Christmas time to Modesto, California, over in the Central Valley, about 90 miles away. I was going to ask for Ruth Blakely's hand in marriage. Her father met me in the parking lot of a school. He pulled up in a pickup truck, and I'm a city guy from Oakland, so the pickup truck thing wasn't so... I, you know, I'm more used to it now, especially here. I'm, I'm thinking about getting a pickup, as a matter of fact. And, but I climbed up in the cab, and, and I said, uh, Pastor Blakely, I really love your daughter, Ruth. He said, we kind of like her, too. I said, uh, I'd like to marry her. He said, I think that could be arranged. I said, you know, but my parents' marriage is really kind of up for grabs and it, and it makes me nervous and I don't, I don't know what to do and I wonder. And he looked at me. Sometimes somebody can say something that helps you see yourself in a whole new way. And he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Dick, why don't you just love Ruthie and love Jesus? And Opal and I, his wife, will love you too and love Jesus and we'll just walk together. It's okay. I trust you. Being trusted is a powerful, moving thing. And here comes God, and right out of the chutes, Genesis 1, 2, 3, go, if you will, he says, I'm going to trust you. Last week we talked about him trusting us with power. We have the authority, gave us authority to become children of God, to come into the family in John 1. He gave us power to be witnesses in Acts 1, where we can, we can be in the world and share who he is around the world. This week, we're going to talk about the God who entrusts us with possessions, like with stuff, with things, with money. Starts in Eden, and uh, it begins like this. In Genesis 1, it talks about God creating us in his own image. He made man two flavors, that's my word, two flavors, male and female. He created them and gave them dominion over things. And when you get to Genesis 2, you find out kind of how that works in a more practical sense. Listen to how it reads. It'll be on the screen. The Lord God, this is Genesis 2-7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, literally the breath of lives, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed, and the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you'll surely die. What's absolutely clear to me in this text is who the creator owner is and who the steward is. This is on the back of your bulletin. God is the creator owner. He's the creator owner. I'm the steward. I'm the manager. I'm like the gardener. I'm the trustee. 
The implications of that, if they're true, and I believe it is true, the implications of that are staggering because it makes a difference who's the owner and who's the steward when it comes to my choices about time, about relationships, about money. And this text captures both relationships and possessions. Here's Adam and Eve in the garden displace these things that they're taking care of, if you will. Today we're going to talk about possessions. Next week we'll talk about relationships. Money is almost always attention. Poor people need more. Rich people, many of them want more. I've never had anyone say to me, both, I, I just like less money. Now, there may be a few of you that come afterwards and say, that's me. I just, I don't. But generally, that's not true. Money, by all studies that are done, is the key conflict point in most marriages. And when you mention it in church, some people sometimes get anxious. He's always going to ask us for some. I mean, it's just, you know, you can almost feel people start hyperventilating. You know, just. But the fact is that Jesus talked a lot about money and about resources and um, whatever he talks about. That's important for us to think about. He talks more about money than he talks about love. I, I like money. I, not, I don't love it because to love it is what? The root of, Ill, of all evil, the, the love of money. But most of us kind of like it. And in the stories in the Gospels that revolve around people who grapple with money are really pivotal stories. There's a wonderful Dutch artist by the name of Rien Portvliet, I think I'm saying that right, <clears throat> who created a book about 30 years ago called He Was One of Us. It's one of those coffee table books. Wonderful art. And in there, he captures the faces of some of the people whose stories center in some way around money. You remember this guy? Zacchaeus is his name. He was in the town of Jericho. I love this. You know, he's, he's pretty healthy. You can see that. And he's, he's up a tree out on a limb. And he got his money from the people in town. He ripped him off. He got his money illicitly. Jesus sees him in the tree, calls him down, goes to his house, and the guy says, I'm, I'm, going to give, I'm going to give the money back four times over. I mean, his view of money changed just like that when Jesus walked in. Then there was the rich young ruler who ostensibly got his money in an okay way, but he really liked his stuff apparently. And he comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, obey the law. He said, I've done that. He said, then go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And it says that he went away disappointed. Now, Jesus didn't say that to every rich guy. He only said it to this one rich guy. Because as we learned last week, we're originals from the land of the Holy Spirit, each one of us. So there's no sense in us comparing ourselves to each other because we're originals. And Jesus and God deals with us uniquely because we're originals. So this guy, Jesus knew where his heart was and he challenged his heart. Then there was Judas who so desperately wanted a different kingdom, a different political order. So much so that when it came to the end of his time as a disciple, he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. I got to tell you, when I look at these pictures that this artist wrote, there's emotion connected. I mean, you, you get the feelings when you look at these pictures, don't you? And then there's the, this wonderful woman who, in her devotion to Jesus, takes the most priceless thing probably she has, an alabaster ointment, and pours it on his feet and wipes his feet And to see his touch and his concern and her devotion. 
And I'm asking myself, why so many money illustrations? Well, maybe, maybe it's because it's my life. I give away my life for a dollar or several. This, this dollar is my life the second time around. I go and work. I get these for my work. And um, maybe that's why I get so tense when money is talked about, because we're talking about my life here. Now, I can buy a certain kind of hamburger with this. It's not like a, you know, but it's, and you can get one. I can get about 40% of a gallon of gas with this. Or if I'm in a furniture store and I forgot my tape measure, I can use this to measure couches. This is about six inches. And, you, and people think you're nuts, but you say, if you want more of these, let me do this. You know, it just. So it's very functional. This, this is more efficient than, than the barter system. This, this is barter. I have a friend who's, who's in banking and he said, this, this is barter. You know, this is the substitute for barter. It's, this is better than carrying like a dead chicken in your backpack to trade for something. This, this works better. But when we think rightly about this, at some very deep level, we begin thinking rightly about our lives. So don't be nervous. I want you to take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. Let's just talk about this for a couple of minutes. Here is Jesus who says, let us make man or God who says, let us make man in our image. In his image, he made them male and female. He created them and gave them dominion and responsibilities. It's interesting because Jesus. Thousands of years later, uses creation language to describe how we think about money in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, the 15th verse. This is how it reads. There are some religious types who are following him around. And uh, and they're trying to trap him. Verse 15 says, then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. That was a political group. So you got a political religious coalition because they're threatened by this this person, Jesus. He's so authoritative, like we spoke last week. Teacher, they said, we know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, who they are. That is, you don't give priority. You're not preferential. You, you see people equally. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, if he says yes, then they say, well, he's not a holy man. If he says no, give it to God, then they say that's treason. So this is what philosophers call the horns of a dilemma. They think they've got him trapped. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose portrait is this? Whose inscription? Caesar's. My friend Brent Cunningham Gave me this today. It's a it's a tribute coin. It's a copy of a tribute coin to Caesar Tiberius. And it's got his head and his inscription on it. Whose whose portrait, whose name, whose inscription Caesar's. And then he said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. And when I read that, I'm amazed because I have no idea what that means. And I'm not like I'm not trying to be disrespectful of the text. I'm saying, what does that mean? One day I was researching this and the word that's used for image 
in the language of the New Testament. It's a different language in the Greek, but it's the equivalent word to the word that's used in Genesis 1, let us make man in our image in the Hebrew. Maybe this is something that Jesus, maybe he did it like this. This is just a thought. They give him the coin and he takes it in his hand and he holds it up and he says, whose portrait, whose image is this? They say Caesar's. Whose inscription? Caesar's. And maybe he did this. Fine. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. That's the only thing he can put his image on. It's a penny or on stuff. He can only put his image on stuff. But give unto God that which is God's. You bear his image. You have his stamp. At the core, you look like him. And, and when he has you, when he has me, he's got my little dollars. He's got my pennies when he has me. That's, that's the big question. That's the big challenge right there. If he's got me, he has my dollars because in reality, they're not my dollars. In reality, he's the creator. He's the owner. I'm the steward. They're his dollars that I get to use. In Genesis 2.15, where it talked about the garden, God gives man resources and a mission. He says, here's the whole garden. It's all yours. Take care of it. And uh, except for one thing, got all these trees. You can eat from any tree in the garden except the tree in the center of the garden. That one tree, there are two, but this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, some of you are, and, and of course, he's the owner, so he can, he can make any exceptions he wants. He could say, you can't eat from these 25 trees. But he says, just the one tree. Now, he's sovereign. And what he's looking for is obedience, response to that one exception to this large gift. Now, here's the deal. Some of you here are businessmen and women. You've put deals together. You know how this works. Here is a person who comes along, puts up all the capital, makes all the investment, gives the manager's life, if you will, and says, it's all yours, except for this one piece. Now, most business deals don't go down like that. If you put up the capital, if you put you get like 90%, and the guy who works it gets 10%. Here, God comes along, turns that on its head, and says, I'm going to give you the whole deal except for this one tree. And I'm looking at that and say, what, what's that about? Well, what's it, what it's about is that I'm not the creator owner. I'm, I don't sit here or stand. I don't stand here this morning because I'm smart or wise or cute. I used to be cute, but I'm not, I'm not here this morning. I'm only here by the grace of God. We didn't get up this morning and say to our nervous systems, okay, hit it again, team. Let's go. We're going to. No, no. It's the grace of God that we sit. Can you agree with me? It's the grace of God that we sit here this morning. Can you say amen to that? That's just how it is. So when we recognize that this, none of this is mine, all of it is his, but he lets me participate at a very high level, and he only makes one exception. And my response to that is, what generosity? He's not just any old creator. He's the generous creator. How disarming is that? How, how unique is that? How attractive is that? I mean, who, who would have guessed he gives us Eden, gives the whole thing to us. And it's our responsibility then to obey him 
to honor him at the first point and make the garden productive. I love that parable in the New Testament where where the, where the master comes along and he gives talents to the guys and he says, I'm going to go away. And two of the guys make it productive. The other guy buries it. He wants us to be productive. He wants us to make things grow and multiply. And he, he wants us to do that. When I was president of this college, we had a Jan term. It's a three week session where you take one class in January. We had chapels at this Christian college and I was speaking this one day and I was speaking on that subject. And I had this thought, Ruth and I were going to give $50 to the married students association because all married students are poor when they're in college pretty much. And like grad students are all poor. And, and um, so I took five $10 bills and I said, I'd like five volunteers and four guys and a young woman came forward. And I said, I'm going to give you each $10 and I want to see how much you can grow this $10 in the next three weeks. You can come back to chapel Three weeks from now, and we're going to see and just do whatever we want that's legal and and just, you know, grow this, grow this money and uh, so forth. Kind of a mix of biblical economics and capitalism, something like that. And so so they took it. The girl, this is after three weeks, they came up. The girl had raffled off a, a, a ticket for a date with her. I think thirty eight dollars she got for that deal. And another guy had made cookies. Another guy had a talent show. But this one basketball player came up. He had a bucket of money. I mean, a bucket. It was like one hundred and twenty eight dollars and fifty cents or something. And I said, man, that's tremendous. How did the married students going to be thrilled? And, and my deal with them was the ten dollars goes to the married students and twenty five percent of whatever you make on that. On top of that goes to you. And the other seventy five percent goes to the married students. I said, how would you do that? He said, well, I. You know, I first of all, I doubled it, that ten dollars. And then I went to Mom Gunderson, who was the dean of women, and I had her make cinnamon rolls. She had these unbelievable cinnamon rolls. And she was a dean of women who's kind of a cross between Mother Teresa, Betty Crocker and the CIA. Yeah. And uh, she. He, he sold these on the Pacific Garden Mall in Santa Cruz. It's an open-air mall, and he made all this money. I said, that's tremendous. I said, just have a question. How, how, did, like, how did you double it, that first $10? He said, well, President Foth, just, uh, <clears throat> I'm just grateful that the 49ers won the playoffs. I said, give me that money. We'll talk about your theology later. Give me that. We get... So you have Adam and Eve in the garden with these possessions. Because I am designed in his image, this is in your bulletin, because I am designed in his image, both relationships and money work when they're centered in generosity. Let me say it again. Because I'm designed in his image, and he's the generous creator, both relationships and money work when they're centered in generosity. I got to tell you that that uh, Ruth is more generous than I am. I she's had to teach me along the way. It isn't that I don't want to be. It's just that I don't know. I you know, we'll 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 go to a, a burger place or something and I'll say, Ruth, would you would you like a milkshake? And she said, no, I'll, I'll just have some of yours. And I'll say, no, no, no. I want mine. I, I'll get you your very own. I'll be generous that way. But don't. She said to me, yeah, but yours tastes better. I See, guys don't get that, ladies. I don't know what that's all about, but we don't get that part. So Ruth has had to help me. But the enemy of our souls, the enemy of our souls, Satan, 
He is not generous. He is a miser. He's a thief. He's about hoarding. And he keeps whispering in my ear, Foth, you need it all. You don't want to recognize the tree in the center. You don't want to bring the first fruits like it says in Exodus. You don't want to. No, 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 no. You, you need every single penny for yourself. He's a liar. He doesn't know what he's talking about. This isn't mine. It's his. It's the creator's. He's blessed me and allowed me to have some of this. I just need to recognize and, and affirm his place in my life at the front end. And so we get to look at what, what Jesus says about this in Matthew, the sixth chapter. Because once you have some of that, Matthew, the sixth chapter reads this way. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. See, now, if if I were writing it, and that's right, I didn't, I'm sure I, I would have said where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you're just about getting stuff, know that it's going to rust, critters are going to eat it, or somebody's going to grab it sooner or later. But if you store for yourselves treasures in heaven, it goes on forever. So the question is, am I a spender or an investor? If I just spend this for stuff, I'm just a spender. But if I give some of this to people... Honoring the Lord. I'm an investor. Now, the fact is, we're both. We spend some of this on stuff. We go buy orange juice and we buy whatever, Legos or whatever. We, we buy them. But the key is, which way am I tilted? Where am I primarily moved? Uh, some years ago, when I was president of the college, and, and you have to forgive me for referencing the college so much, but I had some very interesting experiences there. And I went to ask an old farmer, an old rancher, for a million dollars. I had never asked anybody for a million dollars, but that's what college presidents do. They, the line is the college president is a man or a woman who lives in a big house and begs. That's what you do. <laughs> and so John Stoll was his name. He owned, he owned 50 acres of pears in what is now downtown Sunnyvale, California, which is Silicon Valley. If you're going to own 50 acres of anything, own it in Silicon Valley. But he still lived in a Green Acres house with a little tilty mailbox. And I went and I sat on his porch and I had prayed and said, God, help me with it. And I, and I asked him for a million. I said, John, do you, would you make a lead gift for this? And he looked at me and grinned and said, how soon do you need that? And I about passed out because I, oh, I prayed and everything, but I didn't, you know. And, and so I, he died six months later, but his family said, we want to give the million dollars and, and we helped build an administration building with that and his granddaughter in her 30s came to speak to the students the day of the opening of the administration building and she said you need to understand this my grandpa was not a spender my grandpa would fix something a dozen times before he'd buy a new one he was an investor he hated paying taxes to uncle sam he hated doing that and he found if he invested in you students 
and you took Jesus around the world, that he would get compound interest on his investment and he didn't have to pay one red cent to Uncle Sam. And she said, when you walk into that building in a few minutes, when we cut the ribbon, understand this. You're not just walking into a building of stucco and steel and glass and and wood. You're walking into my grandpa's life. So take care of it. When I was in grad school, I needed to go to a conference. I needed to get some interviews for a thesis I was doing. And my advisor was a a lady about this tall in her mid-60s, a single lady. She said, are you going to go to this Urbana conference, Dick? I said, I... It costs $50 for the week. This is 1964. I said, I just can't afford it, Dr. Lois. I, and besides, I wouldn't go without Ruth. And uh, she got up and walked into a back room, came back, opened my hand, put five brand new $20 bills in it and said, you take Ruth and go to Urbana. That $100 changed the trajectory of our entire lives. A $100 investment by God's leading at the right time with the right folks can change everything for them a year and a half later we came back and did a church plant at the place where that conference was at the university of illinois it changed the course of our life had an old mississippi friend who was getting a phd in economics he and i were working one day digging the ditch I, his name was cb easterwood i said cb give me a definition of economics and he said this in that lovely mississippi drawl which i can't imitate he said economics is the effective use of scarce resources Economics is the effective use of scarce resources. So we had a missions conference at our church and we were encouraging people to give toward missionaries. And one of the one of the commitments that came in came from an eight year old girl and it was for seven cents a week. Her name was Susie. I talked to her mom. I said, that's tremendous. I was really moved. She said, well, Susie gets twenty five cents a week allowance. That represents about a third of her income. And she wanted to help see that Jesus has taken around the world. At that same conference, I had a friend who was getting a Ph.D., and, but he was a tremendous vent, excuse me, ventriloquist. I didn't care about his Ph.D., but the, he was a ventriloquist. <laughs> and he was amazing. And we had him do little vignettes and snapshots in each of the services. And on that commitment Sunday, he got up and he had his dummy, Andrew. And he said, well, it's a good day, Andrew. And Andrew said, yep, this is the greatest day in the world. He said, well, Why? He said, well, you've talked to us about sacrifice and service and vision and all those great things. But today we're going to talk about money. He said, well, that's a, he said, and we we know that even though you've talked about those other things, you're just setting us up for the kill. <laughs> said, but it's OK. If I had five thousand bucks, I'd give half of it to world missions. He said, well, that's very admirable. He said, I had $3,000, I'd give half of it to World Missions. He said, that's marvelous. If I had $1,000, I'd give half of it to World Missions. He said, Andrew, could I ask you a question? He said, say what? He said, how about a dollar? He said, what? He said, like, could you give a dollar? He said, that, that's not exactly fair, is it? He said, why? Well, I've got a dollar. Economics is the effective use of scarce resources. Biblical economics says, keep those resources moving around. Keep those resources moving around. Economics is the effective use of scarce resources. Seven cents, a dollar, whatever. Biblical economics says, share that. 
pass it. Sometimes Harry needs some. Sometimes Jose needs some. Sometimes Susan needs some. Sometimes a mom needs some. some. Keep it moving around. I have a brother-in-law. I've shared this with some of you. I have a brother-in-law I can't trust. His name is John Blakely. He'll come over, borrow my car, go fill it up with gas. Then he'll borrow it again, go put tires on it. Just can't trust the guy. And uh, one day I got in my car and Ruth was with me and I looked down. I had new floor mats on the, in the car. I said, Ruth, did you get these? She said, no, I thought you got them. I said, I didn't get them. I said, Blakely got them. I went back in the house. It was pre-cell phone days. I called him and said, John, did you, get, did you get new floor mats for our car? He laughed. He said, yeah, I did. I said, what? when did you do that? He said, three months ago. Uh, I'm not very observant, but I'm deeply appreciative. But it's interesting. It's interesting the people that Jesus uses as a model for giving. Remember the widow with the two mites in Luke 21. It said, here's a widow. He was in the temple and he was watching her as she gave the two mites. That's less than a penny, less than a penny. And he says of her, she gave more than all those rich guys combined. How could he say that? Because it's really not about this. It's about my heart. It's not about how much of this I have or don't have. It's about which way my heart is tilted. It's not about how much of this I give or don't give. It's which way am I pointed. He's the generous God. And I'm designed in his image. And when I hold stuff loosely and I hold him tightly because he's holding me tightly. It works. Relationships and money work when they're centered in generosity. Would you stand with me this morning? Numbers of us here have gone through tremendously difficult times in the last couple of years. Some of us here have lost homes. Some of us are on the cusp. Some of us have, have been out of work for some time or lost jobs and gotten them. We're going to have prayer team members who are going to be here. And some of, some of us may have a physical need. We just need a touch from the Lord in our bodies or we're struggling with some things. But, but the prayer team members who are here just want to take a moment and just together join hearts with you and say, here we are, Lord. You know us like the back of your hand. We just need an answer or a response. We're sharing our concern in this time. So feel free as others slip out after this service. Please feel free to come and just spend a few moments here. Father, we will never get over your generosity. You've said that it's about us, but it's based in being about you in a profound way. Thank you for your creative, redemptive power in our lives. I pray your blessing upon every individual, every young person, every child, every family member, every mom and dad, grandpa and grandma here. That as we go from this place this week into our communities, that people will be attracted to our generous spirits. Because we are open hearted and open handed like you We're designed for it. Help us to be that way more profoundly today. And we stand on tiptoe to see what it is you're going to do next. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. And everyone said, Amen. Go in His grace. God bless you. See you next week.